Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. Um, I just saw what moved and what didn't on the human body. And, and so I thought, man, this has to work. It's just, it's simple. Just need a bottle, my phone, some nutrition, some cash for the beer garden and my ID. That's really all I need. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a thought, but I of course was not an expert. So at the time, uh, so the process of actually making what I wanted to do was a, a, a quite a large step and was an incredibly challenging learning curve. Um, where now I can so like with the best of them, but, but, uh, but in the beginning that, that was the biggest hurdle is actually trying to get what was in my head into a product. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm Sleep, it gives you Z's. So our guest today is a major tech and gear guy that spent years racing ultras, gravel races, Ironman, mountain back races, adventure races. He's the CEO and founder of uh, Orange Mud, and he's the design dude at Seven Clay. The goal at Orange Mud is, is simple. It's to create the most efficient, well-crafted, and functional outdoor gear possible for everything I mentioned, racers, mountain bikers, runners, adventure racers, etc. Innovation from frustration has evolved as their company motto Orange Muds distributed in over 40 countries and was awarded Runner's World uh, Gear of the Year. Uh, excited about our guest and entrepreneur today. It's uh, Josh Sprague. Josh, how are you, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So like Orange Mud, right? Like orange is my favorite color too. And clay is your middle name. So my question is this, start out like, did you ever find anything to rhyme with clay yet? Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, you know... <laughs> Hey, no. I never thought of that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's always been fun tying, especially between both businesses, trying to get my middle name to work. But uh, um, yeah, man, it's it's hard to get it's hard to get your name sometimes in places, especially when it's a name you like, and then your middle names, you know, they're kind of kind of useless in all reality. But but um, I lost the battle to name my children uh, anything related to clay. So I guess I got. I got a win with seven clay and then orange mud was a, was, was close. It was a modification. <laughs> yeah. I dig it, man. And, um, uh, cause I, I, a big fan of, uh, of your products and, and let's start at the beginning, right? So I mean, 2012, I mean, you're working full-time VP medical device company, your wife's corporate lawyer, yeah. 
and, and you launch Orange Mud. And mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated by this because a lot of people talk about like, you just got to jump in the deep end and which you did, right? I mean, you sat down with hundred K at the table, yeah. but you, you still worked through that whole launch, right? Yeah. Yeah. For my wife quit about two years in, I think I quit. It was somewhere around three years in, uh, maybe two and a half, somewhere in that range. But I always forget. And it seems like it was just recently, but it was, you know, six years or something ago now <laughs> over six, I think, but but uh, I think it was six and a half years ago I quit. So, yeah, you know, for us, we just wanted to make sure we had a long-term survivable company. And, and I mean, I had, we had our first boy three months before we started Orange Mud. And then my daughter was born, you know, 18 months after he was, 19 months after he was. And we were, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot on your plate when your wife's already quit her job to run what we thought would be kind of a hobby initially, but then all of a sudden became a, a business. And then, you know, and I, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I want to do that. So, I mean, I was working a full-time job running Orange Mud while I had a full-time job running the device company. And, um, and man, it just pushed me. To, I, I basically pushed until I was at the breaking point of, you can only work, you know, I, I would work 17 to 20 hours a day and I barely slept and it, it pushed my relationship <laughs> to the edge, let alone, uh, just everything. I mean, every, or every single element was pushed 100%. And I was like, all right, I think we better, I better quit my job day job and we should do We should go for this. And I, I believe we can grow it far bigger and we can do a lot more and I can do a much better job on every level. And, um, and it worked, you know, thank God, <laughs> because it could have been kind of, you know, a big impact otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's a, it was a, it was a, a scary leap, but it was, it was a really incredible one and, and something that uh, uh, I'm forever thankful for that it actually worked out. Yeah. So I was a professor for about five years, two kids under the age of three, pretty similar to you. And I just Fisher cut bait time and I just leaped off and, and left start my own company. Cause yeah. You know, what, what was the, um, and if you can go back to that point how did you know it was going to work? And a lot of times the answer is, well, we didn't, but I mean, like how did, where did that faith and belief in what you were doing? How, how did that come to manifest? Well, so we started with the hydro Cribber bottle based hydration pack. And I mean, I had spent years racing behind my teammates and in, in racing and, and uh, you know, when you're staring at your teammates backs in, in an adventure race, you see, you, you just, I mean, you're out there for hour after hour after hour, despising the packs you're wearing and, and sometimes it wasn't even the manufacturer's fault. It was just, we're carrying an enormous amount of crap for an incredibly long period of time um, because there's always a high kit requirement in venture racing. And, um, and so you see this pack kind of flopping around and, and I didn't need all that, especially, I mean, most of us, you know, I don't care if you run hundred milers, you know, once a month, you're training, you still don't need to have like a 12 or a 20 liter pack, right? So you can, you can really scale it down to a small pack. Um, so that's where I just wanted something simple. And I was training for an Ironman at the time that that kind of started making me really despise waste packs. I've always hated waste packs with passion and I despise handhelds, just not my thing. Even my own handheld. I mean, I, people love it, but I, when I, as soon as I had it designed, I threw it in the prototype bin and I've never used one. Cause it's just not my thing. Um, you know, and again, some people, it's probably, probably why they have bigger, stronger arms than I do is they run with handhelds all the time. But but, you know, on my side, was staring at people's backs so much, or my teammates, um, I just saw what moved and what didn't on the human body. 
And, and so I thought, man, this has to work. It's just, it's simple. I just need a bottle, my phone, some nutrition, some cash for the beer garden and my ID. That's really all I need. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a thought, but I of course was not an expert. So at the time, uh, so the process of actually making what I wanted to do was a, a, a quite a large step and was an incredibly challenging learning curve. Um, where now I can so like, I mean, with the best of them, but, but, uh, but in the beginning that, that was the biggest hurdle is actually trying to get what was in my head into a product. And, uh, but I, I really felt like that, that should work this based upon everything I'd seen. And, um, and man, sure enough, it did, but it, it was, it was a good road learning that process and, and trying to get it actually into production um, with a production grade product that looked good that actually worked also. Those were two yeah. challenging, two, two pieces. And so runner's world, then you win gear of the year. Yeah. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even for your best product for, uh, for your packs, but, but walk us through the, you know, how did the, how did that impact your company and the vision and, and moving forward from that? Yeah. So that was on our transition wrap, the changing talent seat cover. And, uh, yeah, that product, man, has done really wonders for us. And, and, you know, the pack was a slower adapt uh, adaptation. You know, we really thought the retail, especially we were made in the USA. I thought, man, retail is going to be all over us. And, and, and even our towels, same thing. We started made in the USA. And again, I thought that was going to be awesome. And I, I had a big corporation, um, that was really interested in it, but they told me, Josh, you're naive and an idiot. If you think anybody, if you think anybody cares about made in the USA and, and I, I still, like, I'm still somewhat jaded about that opinion of the guy, although he largely is kind of true. <laughs> I mean, he, he really ended up being for the most part accurate, but, um, but I, I felt like our pack was going to take off with just like a rocket in retail. You know, all these small specialty retail stores around the country. I'm thinking, man, they're going to love made in the USA the story and all this. They didn't care. They're like, yeah, it's different. I don't understand why anybody would do that. Like, why would you do that when you could use a waste pack? Or why, that's too expensive compared to a waste pack. I'm like, it's not a waste pack. It's a backpack. Well, it turned out there was a heck of a learning curve to educate the, you know, uh, the customers on what the packs were. So again, it was making that process slower to get the product going in the market. Well, on the towel, that was something that was fairly straightforward. People instantly were like, oh yeah, I see how that works. So um, the, we were at outdoor, um, the outdoor uh, show, the outdoor trade show, um, in Salt Lake one year in, in June after we launched that product and we didn't meet the editor from runner's world there, but he happened to stop in one of our retail stores in Salt Lake after the show and bought it. And then he, he reached out and said, Hey, you know, I, I don't know if you'd mind, but, um, I, uh, I, I think this towel is ingenious and I would love to feature you as gear of the year. And, and, uh, at the end of the year and, uh, would you mind? And I thought it was just a sales pitch. I'm so used to sales pitches. That's all I thought it was. And, and we had a 20, 30 minute conversation, super awesome guy. And then, um, he's like, yeah, cool. We'll follow up in two or three months from legal and, uh, we'll go from there. And sure enough, that worked. And, um, and there was no paid place. There's no pay, nothing. He actually bought the product of all things, which never happens in this world. Well, uh, yeah, once that went out that one month, we landed hundred retail stores and the next month we landed one chain of 130 stores. And then we landed Australia, our first external distributor. And then it just, it just skyrocketed, let alone the online consumer sales, which, which we're doing fantastic too. So this is back in 2013. And, um, and then to this day, I mean, I just cut a 
massive purchase order to my factory to build another bazillion of them. And we just got in a shipping container of them uh, three weeks ago. And we just got another shipping container a month before that. And I mean, we, we, that product alone has just done you know massive wonders for our company. So that kind of put us on the planet, really. I think it put us on the radar of a lot of stores. And then people are like, okay, let's look at these packs now. And, um, and then everything just started to kind of sink together. And, and, uh, so our hydration packs are still the flagship of our business, but, uh, the transition wraps by all means are a, are a huge piece of, of our revenue and, and continue to be a, uh, a, a wonderful diversifier, you know, because we're in everything. You know, if you're mowing the lawn, you're sweaty, it's great as a seat cover. And if you're an athlete and you're changing from your polo and jeans into a workout gear, it's great at the trailhead. So it's really been an extremely versatile product um, on, on every level. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm forever thankful to Runner's World. No, it's absolutely fantastic, man. With, you know, one thing I, I don't think I know anything about it. I mean, inventory, you spoke about like inventory is the bane of existence, right? I mean, you got it capital is. production. But walk us through that then. Like, what's the biggest struggle in terms of the inventory and, you know, being made in the USA? Because, I mean, there's just that that margin that you have to make then as a business owner. Like walk us through the struggles with that and and how do you make that connection into the profit world? Yeah. Well, yeah. So we don't we don't make much in the US anymore, sadly. Um, you know, it's um we did for the first three years almost everything. And then we tried a Mexico US hybrid. Uh, but even with that, we had an 87% cost of goods increase over a three year period. And and eighty seven percent over three years. Eighty seven percent, yeah. Oh my and it was, and then we had a forecastable um, increase going forward, given that um, California passed minimum wage at the time. Um, that that last price increase I got from from one of my factories, um, at that same period, California passed the new minimum wage increase to go from eight dollars an hour to fifteen by the year. 2021. <laughs> so it's, uh, so now this year, California minimum wage is now 15. Now one would say, oh yeah, that's still not a livable wage. I get the whole argument of everything, but the challenge is at the time it was, I believe eight or nine. And I doubt any of the sewers at any of the factories we're working with or even staff are hardly making that. However, if you go, maybe you have those people that are making 10 and now the minimum wage is 11. Now they all make 11. The people that are making 11 want 12 and the people who are making 12 want 13. And, and the way I saw that, and I ran a manufacturing facility, I knew labor quite well. Um, and, and it was something that I was like, man, I, I not only will have continued price increases from material, um, but I'm going to have a forecastable business model of costs based upon these minimum wage increases. And then where will it stop after 15? So, so for me, that was my turning point. That's when I said, sayonara, California, I'm out. And, and I did. I, I Within two, three weeks of that legislation being passed and the price increases for my factory, I was on a plane to Vietnam and I, I, uh, I didn't want to go to China. It's just uh, I, I'm used to seeing so much crap out there from right. China that and I know China makes good stuff, too. But, but I'm used to seeing so much crap and I battled some import issues with China where I had suppliers try to save literally a penny on a six dollar item. Uh, and caused me enormous amounts of wasted labor and inspection time that I, I just refused to go there. So uh, Vietnam is one of the top 
places in the US, in the in the globe for pack manufacturing and and I also thought I don't want to go anywhere that I don't personally want to travel to and so uh, so that was a, an incentive and and we looked at some other countries too but but uh, but man I was on a plane and that was in December and in January we had prototypes uh, or production samples signed off and I flew back over there again in May and um, and got all the, the inspected the first production shipment before it actually went on a shipping container and and man I haven't looked back. It's been awesome. Our factory over there increased our time to market, believe it or not, uh, over U.S. supply. Our prototype costs went down. Our prototype and production quality actually went up, which was a real big surprise. Um, and uh, again, I'm using one of the best factories in the world, but four packs. But I mean, I was using some pretty high end guys here in the U.S., but I, I couldn't believe my quality went up. That was a bigger shocker. Um, and, and it why, helped me why, a lot. Why would that? Why would that be, Josh? The, from a quality side, you know, that's what they do day in and day out. You know, I found a factory that they make that style of products day in and day out. Where in the U.S., first off, it's really hard to find people in the U.S. that want to sew. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just a very limited space. And um, and then there is a huge, and this is kind of my somewhat of my argument in, 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 in my head, as far as why I'm going to go overseas, because, uh, to not, to not turn a blind eye, like so many people do. Um, a lot of these factories in the U S are not using legal sewers anywhere. They're not using U S citizens. Anyway, they're illegals working here. And, and, you know, and I know that's a huge other subject and, and, and I, you know, that I wouldn't go into, however, um, that's where I, I didn't feel like I'm awesome. I'm keeping everything USA made when I'm still employed, basically employing illegals in that, in that sense, you know, through third parties. So, um, so it, it didn't, it, it was a struggle and I hated it because I, I had spent a career doing USA made. Um, but it was just something that just didn't make logical sense. So one of the bigger challenges on top of the side even, um, is access to materials. You know, when the materials we were buying here, I would buy in Indiana is actually one of the factories I buy for one in Indiana where you are and, and a lot in Cali all over the place. But those guys would be buying, they would be importing materials through a broker, sometimes direct from the, the, the factories. Um, but that broker may be buying it from an, an exporter in China or wherever it is. And, and so you've got all these layers of costs going into transporting rolls of fabric. That alone was a huge challenge. And then my limitation on colors and types of materials was more. So by going overseas, not only am I getting a more skilled workforce um, that does this day in and day out. So they are experts. Um, I got a seven access to a 70 person prototype lab, which is bigger than my prototype lab of two before at the U S facility. And, uh, and then now I have an unlimited access to a very diverse portfolio of manufacturing facilities all around the globe as a result. So, uh, for all my core materials. So man, it's, it's just been, it's been a pretty big difference. And, and once you, there, there were even things I wanted to do on my packs that I couldn't do in the U S you know, I was just told that's not a U.S. thing. It's not what we do. And, and, and it was kind of weird with some of them, but, um, you know, I was told like, Hey, you want to do that. You need to figure out how to do it. And you teach us. I'm like, well, you guys are a 500 person factory. Don't you do this? But in the U S most of the packs that people make are military or medical related sewing goods. Um, making consumer grade backpacks isn't a thing. And even my factory at the time, and, and, you know, not to knock on them, they did a good job, but they even told me that, that, 
he initially didn't even want to take my business because he said, you will take this overseas. This is a consumer product. You're going to take it overseas. And this is the piece that most consumers don't get when they say you should make it in America. I should say, and then to me, I'm always the first one to fire back. I'm like, do you want to pay $300 for that backpack? Right. Because that's what it's going to be. And, and people, they're like, well, shame on you. And it's like, man, I, it drives me crazy when people beat you up on, you should be making it made in the U S but yet those same people are the very first people to go to Walmart or target or wherever and complain that whatever costs 45 cents and like, ah, it should be cheaper. And I'm like, you know, you just can't win it. So, so it's, uh, when you go overseas, unfortunately it's the global world of today. Now, if all my competition all in the same time, we all made that conscious decision to build everything in the U S um, first off, it'd be pretty challenging probably to do. We'd probably have to build our own factories, but, um, and then good luck finding labor. But at the same time, uh, it would be a collective price increase to double costs across everything. And then consumers would either have to buck up and spend $300 or $400 in that fancy backpack, or they would just not run with any fancy backpack. <laughs> so, um, and so that's where, you know, it's, it's for us, it's been, it's been a great, a great, um, move going overseas. I can't say I've had, had hardly any bad ex examples or horror stories like a lot of people have. Uh, but again, I, that's why I chose Vietnam because they, they, they're, I've found to be a very trustworthy manufacturing resource for me. And, and, and man, it's, it's made my life, you know, a lot, a lot better. So, um, yeah, you know, I know it's a little long winded, but, but that's, uh, that's the root of, of how it all went down. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I mean, again, the public and, and me included, right. We don't know the intricacies of what it takes with that. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I subscribe to belief like they don't boo nobodies. So if, mm -hmm. if you are getting booed, that means then you're doing something. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like working with professional athletes. Y'all have parents that kind of think like being a professional athlete is a choice. It's like, nah, not quite. You know, yeah. it's like, you have no idea the amount of effort and everything that goes into that. So it's like, I kind of say, look, if you knew what it took to be a pro athlete, you would never sign up for that, right? Because, I mean, they're just looking at the very top <laughs> 001%. Um, yeah. But but then, I mean, again, when it comes to even made in the U.S., I mean, we use fiber all the time, the gig economy, and I don't know how many people are hiring people from the U.S. just to build their website or or make a design logo. So, um, no, I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that. Yeah, argument. They, I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, that's been the piece, I think that, um, and, and it's kind of that same thing. Do you want, and, and, yeah, I mean, my God, the amount of, the amount of us firms that I've hired over the years with orange mud or even seven clay, um, that ultimately when I really, all of a sudden I realized I'm like, really, you're only outsourcing this to overseas. Like, cause there, there was times I'm, I'm like, well, I need to talk to the person that's actually working on this. And they're like, oh yeah, well, that's not us. We actually, it's me. In our, our Indonesian person's working on that for you for the digital, whatever, whatever, whatever piece it may be uh, on the back end, which the digital side of an online ecosystem like we have is massive. And there's an incredible amount of work that goes in the back end. And, and, and that's the ultimate reality is most us people in so many facets of an econ business, they're, they're running the back end. They're just the salesperson which is important, of course, but but then they're just subbing it out to somebody wherever around the world. So so much of that has just become the way it is today. And and uh, and I think as long as people adapt and realize, um, 
it, it's uh, it's it's actually it's not a bad thing. You're you're going to the people that ultimately know it better. Um, versus you know maybe here it's it's again more sales and operations. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but it's just kind of the way it is. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, man. So, I mean, yeah, you are. Yeah, it's the whole made in USA. It, it does. It it gets me all fired up. because right. And because like Seven Clay, my other business, we do everything made in USA. And, and I'm very, very proud of that. And it's it does fix a bit of a gaping hole that I left when I had to go overseas for Orange Mud. But Orange Mud, it was either sink or swim. You know, here, like in that first two, three years of our business, I lost an additional $500,000 that I would have. It, 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 and it's not like I would have because because there's the, there's always the person that'll be like, oh, you just want to get rich. I'm like, no, I, I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the first few years of the business. That 500,000 could have helped actually do more prototyping development launch more production products, uh, actually pay myself. I didn't pay myself for, I think it was three years, maybe three and a half, I forget. And, uh, uh, which was fine. But, but again, these are the things people are like, well, you should just make it for free. It's your business. You're going to get rich eventually. I'm like, <laughs> it would have been nice to have a paycheck. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's, again, it's why we push for so long. So yeah, there's, there's so many, so many aspects um, that are, that are, that are just it, there's a million different spokes in the wheel, I guess, uh, to yeah. figure out when it comes to to uh, to manufacturing made in the U.S. and all these different avenues. You're you're a product of the product. I mean, you're out there racing. I, I use your product. I absolutely love it. Um, what's the connection with the people like in those races for you? Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, I mean, it's it's been missing for. Uh, you know, the last year and a half or whatever with COVID. So it's been really nice to have that back in um, uh, Unbound Gravel. This was a, the first event that we really had back, uh, previously known as Dirty Kansas. It's a 100, 200 mile gravel bike race. And man, I, I didn't realize how, I knew I missed it, but I didn't realize how much I missed it. And it, I need that one-on-one -on -one interaction just to motivate me a little bit more. And and I, I love, I've always loved um, talking with people that are using our gear and just ask them, oh, what do you like about this? What don't you like about this? And how can we make it better? And, and people of all shapes and, and sizes. And, and one of the, the first really, really impactful um, events for me was the LA Marathon. And I lived in California at the time and uh, I left my house that morning to go run it. And it took me like three hours, thanks to traffic that morning to get down there. I was ready to, to murder people on the freeway. But once I finally got there, I missed the start of the race and like the gun went off. I was in the parking lot looking at the start line. I'm like, Oh man. And I couldn't believe it took me three hours to get there when it normally takes me 45 minutes. And, and I mean, it was, I don't know, four in the morning when I left my house or something crazy. So, um, dude, dude, so anyways, how, how, how stressed out, off. Josh, how stressed out were you at that moment, man? It, it, like furiously angry. <laughs> yeah. I know how I would have been. Oh, that's why, that's why I don't miss California, but, but no, you know, so I, I, uh, the coolest part about that, I literally started dead last in the LA marathon. And so that was neat because you had 40,000 people to run through. And now mind you, this is only like year two, maybe into our business, but we had done a lot of business in California. And, um, so it was really cool. 
because as I took off running, I mean, the, at the start, I saw people in the very back of the pack with orange mud double barrels on and, uh, and they were, you know, they're runners that probably would finish it in eight hours or something. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, quite a ways back. And, and, uh, uh, but as I, I ran through, I talked with every single person that day and I'm not super fast by any means, but I'm not, you know, the back of the LA marathon. So, so I, it was great because I was able to run through and migrate through the crowd up until kind of my normal pace area. And, and I talked to over 40 people that day that were using our packs and, and with each one, I you like what don't you like and and man everybody was awesome first off you know and when i i'm like hey i'm the I, you know it we're teeny little comfy at the time but i'm like i'm the guy that designed that and i appreciate you wearing it and and uh and it it gave me an extra good quick step for a good while throughout that day and uh and made for an incredible experience and it's always been that way whether it's gravel iron man mountain biking uh and trail uh, running road running so um, the, the consumer side is what always fuels the fire and make sure that I'm, that I'm pushing into maybe a new product category that people ask for, or fixing something that doesn't work on that super petite person, or maybe that more uh, rounded person or large chested person, or somebody that does, you know, 500 pushups for breakfast. You know, there's, you find these different cuts of people that, that make it challenging to fit. And, and with each one, it's a nice part of doing events is you get to run or ride behind that person. And you see how maybe like it's always like one of the most challenging packs or people to fit of everyone are is that person that has huge lats, the huge V-shaped cut. Um, and the guy that does that 500 to 1,000 push-ups for breakfast. And they're almost impossible to fit. It, it's, it's, it is a really, really, really tough one. But this everyone else, I feel like we've nailed it quite well. And even on the, that, those guys, gals have crazy lats. We've got that fairly well ironed in. But... But it's been the neat part of doing the events is that you get to talk with them, ask about what, what they found, maybe a pack they found or, or, Hey, your pack's the best I found for it, but it still is doing this to me in this area. How can you fix that? So, so, um, so yeah, it definitely fuels the fire. And I know it reignited me this year to get back into it after going to unbound and just seeing how excited people were to get back out there and, and, uh, and share that camaraderie of, of the day of running or riding and, and, uh, and I don't really look at things as a race. I'm not trying to win anything on my side. I'm out there for fun and, and it's my own personal best is what I always shoot for. So, you know, to me, if I can chat with people along the way and if it slows me down, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm, I'm in it for enjoyment at this point. Yeah. So Pretty what, much is, always. what, what is one of the most memorable races for you? Uh, you know, gosh, that's a, I've done hundreds of events now and, um, uh, I tell you one of the, one of the coolest that it, that it was, it was one of the first to always come to mind was the uh, is actually the Leadville Trail Marathon. I uh, I met this guy at um, at the start and uh, or at the um, at the expo the day before. He he came up and he's like, "Hey, do you know the Missing Chins Club?" And I'm like, "No, I don't." And he's like, "Yeah, well, there's a whole crew of us that um, a lot of us were like this guy. I think he was I want to say 450 pounds." And he got down to 280, I think, at the time, and and that was missing chins guys. You know, they were they were a group of larger athletes that all lost a lot of weight, or they're trying to lose weight, and it and it, it was a group of facilitating um, uh, their you know forward pros, uh, prosper prosperity, whatever. And well, so he uh, he's like, there's a whole bunch of us to use your packs. I've been wanting to use it, uh, or maybe he used one of them, but he wanted to try something different. So. 
Um, but he's like, I have a 52 inch chest or 54 inch chest and I can't find anything to fit me. And I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I believe my gear vest will fit you. I'm like, technically by specs, it would go to 54, but I've actually never put it on somebody that's got a 54. So we put it on him and, and like the look on his face that it actually fit him was priceless. It was, it was like, it brought tears to my eyes. It was pretty exciting. It still gets me a little tingly, but, but, uh, so then, um, he was hundred percent stoked. It was our gear best. And then, um, the next day he was running the half marathon. I was running the, the marathon and, uh, and, and so, you know, we took off and, and, um, I saw him at the start line and, and he was, you know, all excited. Well, as I'm running along on the, on the marathon course, uh, at mile 14, 15, whatever, um, we, we, it bisected the half marathon course and I happened to run up uh, to him. And, uh, and I remember talking to him and his wife and I was asking you, how, how has it been going? How's the pack working for you? And, and, uh, it was more about, you know, how they were doing, of course, but, but, um, and he was just pumped. He's like, man, everything's working great. It's an awesome day. It's beautiful. And, and, and it, it brought tears to my eyes that, that I'm able to, uh, do something that is out of passion and love for making these awesome products to allow people to experience the outdoors and, and, do things that maybe other packs weren't doing at the time. Cause most everybody, m- most brands focus on the skinny, scrawny athletes. And I've never, I've never pushed that element. You know, I, I, I really genuinely 100% believe in getting everybody out there. And, you know, I've always, I've always told people, I'm like, I don't care about the pros. They're like gypsies in many ways. And, and, you know, and, and not all of them, there's definitely a lot of them that are awesome. However, there are a lot of them that are like gypsies and, and I, and I get all elements of they need to make a paycheck and I get it. But, but for me, I'd rather build a brand based upon getting that everyday consumer out there. So for me, working with people like that is way more exciting and fuels my fire way more than, you know, some pro just saying, Hey, throw me more crap. You know, it's, it's like, Hey, I actually made something that this guy bought and, and made his life better and, uh, and it will hopefully educate his community about, Hey, these brands work with me and whatever. So it's, it's, uh, it's that side that I find the, the greatest passion. And then again, that was one of the coolest, uh, long-winded stories of my, one of my coolest experiences out there. I appreciate you sharing that, man. It's a good one. What yeah. in terms of like the mentality it takes for an adventure race, Ironman, uh, you know, ultra by remaster that mentality, how do you see that? that transfers into the entrepreneur mindset that's needed. Yeah. I mean, endurance hundred percent and, um, you know, the, the endurance side of, of, uh, of entrepreneurialism is, 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 it never fails. And, uh, I mean, this week, as we were talking a bit before the call, I'm, I'm, I don't look at hours per se, but if I thought about it, I mean, I, I generally, I'm working by six 30 in the morning and I rarely tap out before six or seven. And this week, every night's been 10 or 11 and, you know, and we're on year nine. And, and I've always kind of looked at this way, things this way in my career. I remember thinking earlier on in my career that if I just work hard this year, maybe next year I won't have to work as hard and I can play more. And it's never, never hardly changed. It just working harder today yields more work tomorrow, but I can't complain about that because Every business that, that I have helped to grow or with my own, 
they've kept growing. And, and it's, you know, someday I definitely don't want to work, you know, a billion hours a week, but, um, but I, I actually enjoy it. So it's this challenge and balance. And, uh, but I think that's where the endurance piece really comes together is that the, the output for success is often, you know, pretty heavy and, and you just have to put in the time. So, um, so yeah, it, it simply is, um, being a stick into a plan rolling with it, adapting when you need to, and, uh, and then put in the time to always make sure every detail is swept perfectly. And that's, that's really what adventure racing is all about. And, and that's what, uh, um, you know, being, uh, you know, running your own company, I believe is, is about as well. Yeah. In, in the races, when you talked about adaptability, right? I believe like champions adjust, like where have you seen it gone wrong for most people? Let's just use, um, what is use ultra? Where have you seen it that when people, when it starts to go wrong, that people can't adjust, they can't adapt? What, what do you see that happens that goes wrong for them? Uh, in, in an ultra race is what you're saying? Yeah. I know it's a different question, but it's like, I mean, you've been around it a lot. I mean, where do you see it that it yeah. goes wrong for people? Do you see that they, you know, yeah. do they just get down? They can't get out of that hole. I mean, do you think it's just nutrition? Do you think it's like they didn't put in their training? Do you think it's the confidence heading in? Where, where, where do you see it go wrong for them? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, a lot of times it's uh, it, it's it comes down to the ability to suffer. Um, and and one, you know, you you would argue sometimes you don't want to hurt yourself, of, of course. And I and I totally get that side. But uh, but yeah, I think I think maintaining a positive mindset is one of the most important things. Um, and, and ability to suffer. So, um, you know, your, your feet were blister and all these kind of superficial things like blistering and just my legs hurt and I'm tired. Um, those things often eat a lot of people up and, and I've seen incredible amounts of people drop out for things that I'm like, man, you're going to be fine actually. Like, like an hour, like after you shower and, um, sorry for the wine and dog over here, but, um, uh, but it's, it's something I, I see too many people give up on that. Um, but I, I do think the the mentality or the mental game is, is, and which is tied to that suffering as well. Uh, just simply being positive is one of the biggest challenges of, of, of almost anything. I mean, whether it's business or even in racing, um, you know, it's like, for example, I'm doing a, um, hundred mile bike race across the here in um in three weeks my bike which is on that trainer back there the last time that mountain bike has seen trails was that race two years ago and now granted i rode my gravel bike at thousands of miles and and all this but i am out of shape 100 covid weight is real well going into this race which is freaking gnarly it's called the mata hey hundred uh the last time i did it took me just under 15 hours and it it was an incredible effort and i was in good shape um this time is going to be a whole different scenario because i'm way out of shape but i always go into these things shaping things as today's going to be a good day there are people suffering all over this world i have nothing to complain about i don't care what happens I have the ability to go to North Dakota and ride my bike across these plains, and it's going to be awesome. 
that's the start of my every race. Wherever it is, it's always that same protocol. And it's always been that way. And sure, yeah, would I like to win? Yeah. But am I? No. I'm not even going to come close to it. Um, and so, but again, it's I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give it my effort that is going to be the best that I can. And, and when I have pain along the way, when I'm dying of heat exhaustion um, and anything else that's going to happen, cramping, legs hurt, back hurts, blistered hands, um, which happened gnarly last time, um, then, hey, that's just the price for being able to do it. So um, I, I do believe that's been one of my keys to success in all the races I've done. Um, in, in, and I have hardly ever not finished a race with the exception of breaking feet, breaking bones, um, and ha- having to pull out and, uh, and once rolled an ankle at mile 50 and still push another 20 miles, um, on an ankle is that big, but, um, uh, but otherwise, you know, I, I, I always finish, but it's, it's simply a positive mindset regardless of what's going on. So you won't see me negative on a race course ever. And, and I, and I do believe that is one of the biggest, um, uh, success factors that I've found and, and just in, in positive focus. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Josh, what, uh, what question am I not asking that, that I should be asking of you? Sorry, the camera went weird. I didn't see it or didn't hear you. What, what question should I be asking that I'm not asking? Oh, Man, I don't know. I think uh, I think when it comes down to um, you know training and racing, um, you know it's like we were just talking about. It all comes down to fun. I mean, I think that's the number one piece that all of us can look at for uh, for long term success. Whether it's training, or racing, or business, um, you know, it's in the end we only get one short life, and you see all the craziness of the world today on every single level <laughs> it seems it's out there like you pick the category there's something catastrophic going on right now um uh but man if we can go out there and experience the outdoors uh, as far as uh uh you know I, I believe like what is your passion you experience the outdoors i think everybody whether you even know what's your passion yet um or whether it already is um it'll it'll open your mindset to wanting you to do more and do better um in everyday life Awesome, Josh. Thanks so much for joining us, brother. Man, I, I really appreciate it. Where would you want people to, uh, uh, you know, obviously follow you and, and your company? Yeah, check us out, orangemud.com and uh, anywhere on social at orangemud or at 7Clay. Both, both uh, are everywhere on the web. And we'll post the links on there. Thanks, brother. You got it, man. Have a good day. for listening to the mental toughness podcast if you like what you heard today please be sure to subscribe to our podcast you can also check us out on twitter at dr rob bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.